Hey everyone, and welcome to another episode of the Competitive Enablement Show. I'm your host, Adam McQueen, and for today's episode, we're sharing the live Q&A panel session that we ran with Chris Januszewski, the Director of Marketing Intelligence at UiPath, and Lisa Colner-Williams, the Product Marketing Manager at Agorapulse. We're going to look to do a lot more of these as we found that they actually provide an opportunity for you all to engage, and it allows us to really answer the questions that you have. In this episode in particular, Chris and Lisa both share the steps that they've taken to kind of shift their competitive program from being reactive to more proactive. A few of my favorite parts from the episode were the strategies that Chris has used to combat a competitor that was drastically cutting their prices and how Lisa discovered that customer success teams were actually dying for competitive intel and then how she went about supporting them. Plus, both Lisa and Chris shared their best tactics for creating content that sales will actually use to win a competitive deal. With that all said, let's get into today's episode. We have Lisa Connor-Williams, the Product Marketing Manager at Agora Pulse, and Chris Januszewski, the Director of Marketing Intelligence at UiPath. Lisa and Chris, thanks for joining us. Great to be here. Yeah, thanks for having us. Before I get into any of my hard-hitting questions here, would you like to just share a little bit about your companies, the space they operated in, and your own personal experience with um, competitive intelligence? Sure. Um, I'm Lisa. I, too, am based in Boston. I see a few people in the chat. Um, I work for a company based in Paris, France, and I also saw someone in the chat from France, um, well represented. Agora Pulse is a social media management tool. So if you're a business who manages or an agency who manages a lot of busy social media profiles, whether it's posting or responding or reporting on what kind of action you've you've had, um, Agora Pulse might be a solution for you. And uh, I have been working with the competitive intelligence program for the company for the past three years. Nice. Um, my name's Chris Januszewski in the Americanized way. Adam, oh, I'm sorry. You're, you're saying it the Polish way, so completely <laughs> fine. Don't worry about it. Uh, so I, I work for a company called UiPath. UiPath is an automation platform vendor focused on mainly RPA. That's that's where we got our start. So what that means for those of you that are unfamiliar is UiPath has software robots that are able to emulate human interactions with computers to automate you know, menial, repetitive tasks to free people up to do more human work that, you know, requires minds, requires thinking, requires not just boring, repetitive things. Um, I've been on the competitive intelligence team. I was one of the first couple members here at UiPath uh, joining in, in 2018. Before that, I worked at Oracle also doing competitive intelligence. So I've, I've been in the CI space for about uh, seven years now. Awesome. Awesome. So Let's get into this thing. I'm going to stop sharing my screen and um, kick this thing off. So let's start, start with you, Lisa. I think let's kind of get to the starting point of where, where did your competitive program look like to begin with? And what were the major pains that you were facing? I, I would be overly boastful if I even said it was a competitive intelligence program. It was pretty much a spreadsheet. <laughs> so um, our competitive intelligence spreadsheet was populated by me and a virtual assistant. And we um, knew that we were facing two big competitors in our space. Um, so we found everything available on them and just put it in one column and described what it is in a second column. And uh, the pain point was uh, no one was using it. And so we needed to figure out why that was. And um, we knew we needed to scale up. Um, we were eventually going to add more competitors. So we needed to figure out uh, how to make this usable for our sales reps uh, as we began to grow and expand. And then Chris, in your case at UiPath, uh, you weren't starting from ground zero, right? You, you, where was your program at? And I guess, what were the main obstacles you had to progressing or in improving the program itself? 
Yeah. So as I said, I was one of the first members on the competitive team here. We built out a, a pretty good sized team, really got um, built out a ton of different collateral for our you know, top competitors. And then due to some organizational uh, reprioritization, the, the team decreased in size. And at the same time that that was happening, uh, UiPath expanded our platform to include new emerging products. And with all of those new emerging products came a ton of new competitors that weren't core to what we had been covering beforehand. Um, so the main obstacle and one of the reasons that we got Clue was to really help keeping track of all of these new competitors with the decreased size of the team that we were going to be facing. Um, so that that that's kind of the core thing that we were facing uh, in addition to maintaining the key collateral that we were trying to keep up to date with our core competitors. I think that's a good starting point as well, Chris, to kind of get into this because like you mentioned there, now you've got new products across new lines, ultimately creating new competitors. And this might be common for, for a lot of people is when you just have so many competitors or so many new ones, how do you, first of all, map that out? And what did you actually do to kind of prioritize which ones to focus on and which one to keep tabs on? Like what, what was the process like from, from your end? Yeah. In terms of identification, as I said, I think in the core product area, that we had of RPA, we, we were pretty familiar with the competitors, but when we expanded the platform, when we made some acquisitions to new product areas, it was net new for us. We weren't really familiar. So one of the first things we did was look at analyst reports, see you know who the top competitors that are mentioned there are. For some of these things, it's a brand new technology that doesn't have any analyst coverage. So at that point, it's really about ad hoc requests, seeing who the field is running into, keeping track of who we're getting questions about, tracking those types of things in Salesforce and other areas. Um, so that that's laying out the landscape. In terms of prioritizing, mainly looking at a couple of things, uh, which competitors are having the most impact on revenue? Again, looking at our CRM, looking at the number of deals they're part of and the number of deals of a certain size of revenue. Those are the ones that we prioritize. Those are the ones that we kept the most focus on, but we also looked at who our field was running into the most in terms of who they're asking us about directly, keeping track of that as an additional metric to make sure we're serving you know, our internal customers the best we can. And then last, again, kind of circling back to how we created the, the matrix of competitors, looking at analyst ratings, seeing who analysts are saying are well regarded because in all likelihood, we will run into them more and more. So those are kind of the three key things we use to prioritize. And, and so when you're mapping that out as well, is there almost like, do you, do you tier the competitors? I know you had a good idea of like your main ones. Yep. What, as you're tearing them out, how do you kind of allocate your time and resources on how deep you should go on each one? How much is like, okay, they're coming up. We really need to like get on top of this. And how many are like, we're going to keep tabs on this for later. Like, how does that allocation kind of go? Yeah. So basically the way that we had thought about it and tiered our competitors was there's tier one, which is, you know, these guys are a threat to our revenue. They're, they're a major threat overall. We need to keep as up to date on them, make sure the field is as well enabled as possible. Then there are the tier two competitors, which are, all right, we should probably put something together to really help out the field in case they run into them, but it doesn't need to be updated as often. It doesn't need to be as, as deep technically or as deep in terms of messaging. Really, our overall product story should help you know, get us over the hump when competing with them. We don't need as, as many specifics. And then we have a huge long list of emerging competitors. This is really either someone that has a new round of funding that has a fundamentally different way of approaching the market or an adjacency that's very interesting to us that, that we want to just keep tabs on, whether competitive or not. Um, any smaller competitors that we get questions about now and again, 
just add them to the list to make sure that there's nothing new or crazy that are that they're coming out with and and just again maintain our level of intelligence and information on them um so those are kind of the three tiers that that were established for us and that's yeah that's kind of ties into that like you mentioned as the name of this presentation sort of going from being proactive just like having those little like at least having some sort of monitoring so that you can see the warning bells if something does arise. Lisa, in your case, you're um you're competing against different competitors in different geographic markets as well. And as this very small team, give give me an insight. What did the landscape look like? And as someone that was starting off at a way earlier starting point, how do how do you prioritize? How do you get a grip of what this landscape looked like? Sure. Yep, sure. And I, I was about to answer the question that Tracy just asked by saying I am a team of one. So I really place a lot of emphasis on prioritization. Um, and it does come down to similar, what Chris says, revenue. I do look at the MRR um, from both the sales and the customer success team. So if we're losing competitive deals on the sales uh, side, I'll keep track of the revenue. And if we're losing customers to a competitor for the customer success side, look at that as well. Um, sometimes add them up or take one or the other's team's um, dollar amounts. And then I usually start them if they're not already built at like a tier three. Um, what happens in our space sometimes, uh, you mentioned uh, that sometimes people get funding. So there's like a burst because they were in the news. In our case, many times someone is deciding to spend a lot of money on Facebook and Google ads. So all of a sudden they come into our sphere. And we also have a lot of uh, competitors who put their tools on AppSumo and become incredibly cheap. And we and people come to us um, wondering why we're not as cheap as, as those tools. So um, many cases, um, Three, years, three months later, six months later, we might not hear from those competitors, but at least we have something. So it's no longer in ad hoc. We have something um, available in case say they decide to go back on AppSumo for a deal. Um, but if we continue to hear them month after month and I can uh, continue to see them in um, bidding wars, either on the sales side or on the customer success side, then I'll move them up to a tier two or a tier three. Um, and that means building out more resources and keeping it much more up to date. So it's almost, yeah, it's a quantitative and qualitative data in terms of the pain they're feeling. Well, um, one question as well, just on, on Tracy's note, before we, before we get into some of that, like where you get to that solution point, um, Chris, what was the size of your CI team? And we actually had a question as well that would be interesting for both of you to answer is in, in a cross-functional organization, where does the competitive team sit? Are you mainly with the product side, the marketing side, sales side? Like where, where do each of your, your teams kind of fit? Yeah, so the size of the current team now um, is two. There are two of us. And to answer cross-functionally where we fit. So as I said, there's a bit of a reorg restructuring of what the team looked like. Back then, our, our bigger team actually sat in pre-sales. We were, you know, uh, an extension of the sales team in a sense to really help enable them and get things up to speed. After the reprioritization and shifting, I now sit in product marketing and the other person on the competitive team sits in product management. Um, so Again, very different. I've I've seen competitive teams sit in all three of those locations in completely different orgs. I I don't think there's a right answer, or at least not one that I've seen. There are pros and cons about where within an org uh, the competitive function sits. You know, in my experience. And uh, yeah, my company it started in product marketing, um, but then uh, we had a slight reorg, and now it and I sit on the sales team. Okay, interesting. And let, let, let's get into that too then, Lisa, because you mentioned early, like main pain point sales, not only not keeping stuff up to date, but then trying to get good content for sales and then actually get them to use it. Um, with these uh, competitors that you've kind of identified as critical, what do you do first? Like what's the first step you take as a person in charge of competitive to even understand what are the, positioning pains that sales are like struggling with what's what's causing them hiccups how do you identify that as your main starting point 
Mm-hmm. Yeah, we I use a few tools because I just want to do a deep discovery uh, as to why. You know, hopefully from the prospects or the customers mouths. Um, so we do have a uh, sorry, not competitive intelligence, conversational intelligence tool. And so I'll go into the calls and search for a particular competitor that we are hearing about and hearing how the prospect is talking about it and also hearing how the rep is talking about it. If I hear that he or she's stumbling, I'll understand what I'll need to build. Um, and if he or she is confident, I'm like, okay, I'm going to steal that for the battle card. Um, so uh, we, I use that a bunch. Um, I have a survey that goes out to lost deals based on being unresponsive. So folks that we don't know why they disappeared into thin air and I get data from that as well. Um, So that's on the sales side. And then on the customer success side, they have a weekly churn report. And so it comes out every Monday and every Monday I go in and see who we've lost to and why. So kind of getting all of that data um, and then figuring out what kind of good stuff to make out of what I've discovered there. And as you get into the creation of the message, and actually Herman has a good question for this. And I, I, I'd like to get your perspective, Chris, here too, because I know at least you said you worked on the sales side, but Herman was asking who, who's responsible for creating this messaging for the sales team based on a t- intelligence you find, like you've mentioned now in your churn reports or stuff you're hearing on win-loss deals. Uh, he uses the example like, okay, there's a new feature rollout by competitors. So Lisa who's responsible on your team? I think we might know the answer to this one, but how you go about it. And then Chris, it'd be actually really interesting to get kind of how that looks at your organization too. Yeah, I work with the product marketing manager who's part of the product team. So the two of us work together uh, on creating the proper positioning and messaging for that. Yeah, and from my perspective, it's it's me and, and the other member of the competitive team. We're the ones that are really putting together um, what the message is in terms of, okay, you know, for, for Herman's example, X competitor came out with this new feature. This is what it means. You know, here's the news, basically. Here, here's some insights on what that news means. And here's our recommendation for either how to position, how to go about looking for that in the market. If, you know, it's, it's a new product, here are some keywords that you might use with or hear from your prospects to help identify that this is what it is and how to respond to any questions that come up with that. So that's more of like the ad hoc as it happens news. That being said, with the product release cycle, I work very closely with the product marketing team to integrate any and all like, you know, from the the previous half year, any new competitive news in addition to what our new product features are to make sure we've got the most differentiated um, message that we can. So it, it depends on the cycle, I guess, but. Uh, and quick, uh, sorry, Pranita actually asked a question here too. We mentioned about how big your team is. How big are the organizations you're at too? Just to give a f- quick frame of reference as well for, for, for people in attendance. Um, when I started the CI program, there were about 50 people and now we're about 120, 130 people. Yeah, and so when I joined UiPath, um, it was around a thousand employees, and we're up to about thirty-five hundred, I want to say oh, now. Wow. So, yeah, quite a bit of growth. <laughs> um, okay, let's. In terms of okay, so you're building the message in. Um, what I'm very interested about, and it's a common, common pain point, and I think it's the eternal question: is first of all start how do you what what's that sort of the process look like like how do you go about building that messaging and then that key thing is how do you get sales to use it because i think that's sort of the the big question that people want answered and so if you had any examples or like something that you've noticed that they really latch on to they really pick up on i think i'd love to hear um yeah so i think i think you know again we've we've had a competitive team for about three years now and the content has changed. The format of the content has changed over those three years. And much of it is in response to how the sales teams consume it. Um, So it's, you know, there's a never ending cycle of talking to them, evaluating with them, what things they find most useful on these things and what they might find most useful 
one time of year, they may find something completely different, useful another time of year. So we basically tiered out some of the way the competitive collateral is built and includes a great tool for helping with that, where we have the main battle card page, which is more high level. And then it's almost a breadcrumb approach where <clears throat> they can click and either be taken to a pop-up window that has additional detail, more technical or whatever for, you know, say the pre-sales or customer success teams, or to a completely different battle card that is focused on a single product area that we're competing with that given competitor in rather than the more high-level holistic view. Yeah, I think I learned my lessons from the spreadsheet days um, that I needed to put things in better context and be able to be found very quickly because especially for the sales team, they need to go in and out. Um, they, and especially in the middle of a deal uh, on a call. So um, one thing that they've liked in particular that they seek out that I try to put on the high level battle card are the uh, seeds to plant doubt um, in a very tactful way, just reminding them of or introducing them to some shortcoming of the competitor. Um, we use that another um, thing that works especially well for us is um, competitive grids from software review sites. Uh, we might be smaller in the market, I gave the size of our company, um, than the two big players in the market, but we tend to do better than them on Captera and G2. So I get a lot of enablement materials from them and put them on the battle cards and um, they use them either on the screen during a call or an email follow-up. Um, so those are in context. They know like, oh, I know we beat those guys on review sites. Where do, where do I go? They know where to go and to find the, the content. Um, that's the fun part, but getting them to use, to getting them to use it, um, it's easy now, now that I know uh, how to do it. So it's repeat and then like restate it, maybe reposition it um, because they, as I just alluded to, have they want to get in and out. They have so many things coming at them from product, from sales, from marketing. Uh, I think they like having someone remind them that something's available. So when I say uh, on, on Slack, oh, new battle cards out, great. I, I, I know I can't take it for granted that everyone on the sales team is going to go to that and, and read it, absorb it, and be able to use it. So um, when I do listen to calls on conversational intelligence tools, I'll say, oh man, you know, I'm so glad you used this feature, or oh, I bet, you know, if you use this battle card, you, you would have been able to answer it, or be sure to use the information in the battle card in your email follow-ups, etc. So, um, and then maybe even a third way, I send out uh, newsletters to the team three times a week, and if I see that perhaps they need to pay more love to a particular battle card or board, I'll say, don't forget, we have this new resource. And so just continuing to remind them, I've never gotten any pushback, like Lisa, enough, we know it's there. I mean, they appreciate, they seem to appreciate it. And uh, kind of on that note, I wonder, like, was there always a demand from sales for this competitive information? And on that note as well, was there, A, was there like skepticism on like usability or the accuracy? And if there, if there wasn't sweet, but if there was like, is there any way that you like you start like things you did to build trust amongst the sales sellers that are like, okay, I can feel confident to use this and it's going to work. Yeah. I, I was just going to say, I, I think there's always demand for this type of information, but there is certainly always skepticism as well um, in terms of, you know, making sure that the the materials are fresh and still accurate, even if things haven't really changed, you know, from a competitor in, in a couple of years and something you published a couple of years ago in terms of collateral is still relevant, just assuring the teams that, hey, we've changed, they may not have. So you can look at this collateral still, it's still very much relevant, still very much up to date, just you know, assuring them or reassuring them that it, that it's relevant, it's, I find is very helpful. Yeah, that proof proof of like freshness and that it's up to date is really key as well. And on that note, actually, Dallas has a good question. You 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 sort of touched on it a bit there, Lisa, in terms of distribution methods for the sales teams. So, like, what are some of the distribution methods you use? And I guess hammering at home to increase usage. He he was asking. Um, like what he uses in Clue and do you use, uh, like what else, what do you else you use on that, on that front? Mm -hmm. Yeah, it depends on the type of Intel I receive. 
um, I have a triage uh, system. So if it's, uh, I know it has short-term appeal and is super hot, like uh, maybe dealing with stocks or an acquisition, I have a Slack channel and the hottest news goes to the Slack channel. If it's short of short-term value, but not as pressing, I put it in uh, the bi-weekly, uh, we have the Clue newsletter go out every two weeks. So I'll wait for the newsletter. And I chances are in both those scenarios, I might not put them in a board or a battle card. They, um, If the CMO sold you know, 20,000 shares of his or her stock, it's not gonna really have long-term value for the sales um, team. Um, but things that I know that will be evergreen and that I know reps and other people in our company will go to on the regular, those will make it to um, the battle card. And this is a little clue specific, but what's neat is when you update a battle card, um, when it comes time for the next uh, newsletter to go out, it says, the following battle cards have been updated, boom, 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 boom. And the people can see, oh, wow, you know, Lisa's keeping on it and things are up to date or wow, yeah, I haven't thought about this competitor for a while. Let me go check it out. And uh, kind of zooming away a little bit from from Clue, I think one of the things that uh, we, we've touched on as well is this like obviously the adoption for sales, but also utilizing sales as a source of information. I think that the information from the field is obviously it's just this gold mine, right? And there's probably a million and one things that reps are hearing on the, on a daily basis. And if there isn't that kind of bi-directional dialogue or communication, that's just going to sit there forever. Uh, I know Lisa, you mentioned kind of hopping into those calls and listening in on them, but that's also you're one person, you only have X amount of time to hop into X amount of calls. What, what have what have either of you done to kind of build a relationship and start to like advocate for and get sales to kind of share information that they're, they're getting and hearing and then you being able to store it and use it? Lisa, you can go ahead. Okay. Well, the tough thing is, Adam, you told me to not be clue specific. <laughs> the only answers I have are clue specific, which is that there are ways through a web browser and an email to share intel that the, the reps find. So that is often very useful. Um, I think because I am a team of one, uh, people feel comfortable coming to me, slacking me like, oh my gosh, I just saw this uh, new Google ad. Like, did you know that they have this feature? Um, so we definitely have that. And I do try to meet other teams. I talk to sales every day. So I know that I'm going to get whatever I need from them. But when it comes to marketing and product and um, customer success, just getting out there and saying, like, uh, for example, we just uh, started focusing on employing folks in the dock region of Europe, German speaking uh, Europe. So um, that's a new area that I need to delve into more. So I'm in communication with the customer uh, success rep and the marketing rep to really uh, hone in on those because I don't speak German and that's not an area that I know well. I don't have like a word on the street from German prospects. So um, yeah, having that open dialogue that you mentioned is is crucial. So, and then so Chris, you're at a much larger organization where it might be a bit harder to be in there visibly with reps and stuff. Like I'm, I'm sure you still are to a degree, but like how, how does that work on your end with a much, much larger team? Yeah, so again, I mean, not to just focus on Clue features, but it's definitely something that we're seeing Clue help out with. Um, you know, in addition to using Slack, you know, we have a Slack channel as well that is, is meant for bi-directional communication. Mainly it's for questions that are being asked, but, you know, there are always good tidbits that come out in that as well. Um, we, we also have a channel that uses the same type of conversational intelligence that uh, Lisa's talking about. And it's basically the, the channel that we have just anytime a competitor is mentioned, we'll just shoot us a ping and post the message there. So that, that helps us focus on, you know, the, the key, I guess, messages. Um, that being said, you know, like I said, clues kind of inherent two-way communication features are super helpful in this. In the past, before Clue, we would try doing different field surveys. And to be honest, the response rates weren't good. They, they were very small. Um, but with Clue, you know, 
not only can the field find out information about competitors, they can, anytime they find something, they can use the clue button to, you know, add something relevant. They can also comment on the different battle cards with things that they like and don't like. As I said, previously, that would be more of a, you know, specific time conversation with the field to say, hey, what about this battle card do you like and not like? Let's set up a meeting and discuss, whereas now it's more real time, which I think has been super helpful. That sort of a, a live feedback loop. And that kind of yeah. parlays into this. We've kind of touched on a little bit in terms of driving adoption. Um, what goes, and you mentioned a little bit in terms of the breadcrumbing information, but what else in your opinion makes good competitive content or good competitive intelligence? Cause I think that's a, that's a, that's a common distinction. Like what actually is worthwhile to reps? What do they really, really need? And what is, uh, for lack of a better word, noise? Yeah, I mean, I think I touched on it a little bit before, but I think good competitive content has to be fresh, especially in the eyes of the field. As I said, even if it isn't necessarily new information, it still needs to appear fresh. It still needs to be relevant to them and to what they're you know, experiencing in the field. And then I think the other major thing is that it needs to be actionable, as Lisa was kind of touching on earlier. It needs to have the proper context. Sales shouldn't have to think about how to best use it. They should just basically know how to use it. It should already be baked into the creation of battle cards that, okay, this is, this is the intel, this is the positioning, this is how and when you use it. Yeah, no, I um, just to kind of piggyback on what Chris was saying, yeah, I kind of use like in my mind the if then then that scenario, like if they're going to look for this, how should I frame it? So that for me is a useful piece of content. Like if they're facing objections, well, I better have an objection handling card um, and having it in, in, in that format as well. Um, yeah, so yeah, qual definitely qual like another lesson learned was quality over quantity. So not having every ebook and every webinar uh, available to the reps, they're never going to sit through that. But instead, what what are the overlying things? Maybe they had 10 out of the 20 uh, webinars dealt with our ICP. Maybe that's interesting that they're honing in on that. Um, so either getting, yeah, trying to get qualitative nuggets out of a whole bunch of things is useful. We actually got an earlier question from David that I, I wanted to get to now, which is a little bit more broad, but I'm, I'm curious. He asked, what kind of in-house measures are you using to determine the success of your program? So I think that's always something very interesting. People want to prove your output or what, what you're doing is impacting the business. Uh, so be, I'm really curious to see how both of you kind of measure the success of the competitive efforts. Go ahead, Lisa. I was going to say, okay. you, you go ahead. Okay, sure. Uh, yeah, well, one is uh, sales readiness and sales confidence, uh, knowing that they have the tools that they need to close the deal and close the deal faster, which leads me to my second metric, which is um, part of reducing time to close is due to the competitive knowledge. It's not the only factor, of course, that plays into it, but it is one. Um, and then when rates against our particular competitors that we're targeting and have decent um, materials for, those are the primary ones that, that we use. Yeah, the, the primary one that, that we use as a team is really revenue impacted. Um, and that's that's more directly than necessarily organizational wide, just the number of deals that we're touching um, more, I guess, personally in terms of having dedicated calls with the reps to prepare them rather than them just consuming the content. So that's a big one to help prove out, I guess, you know, the amount of time we spend helping the field. The ones that Lisa mentioned as well, win rate is one, but that's, that's more the sales ops team. They're the ones that are looking at that. And it's, you know, it's us understanding that yes part of the reason that we're winning is because of the ci enablement but it's harder to measure okay did this person look at the battle card to help them win or was they were they just lucky you know it, that that's a that's a much tougher one but i think it's still very important um we haven't gotten into necessarily measuring time to close like lisa mentioned but i think that's definitely something that you know, we're planning on looking at and, and prioritizing as a KPI moving forward. 
as uh, Lisa, there's another question here, sort of on the uh, as a team of one. Mm. I'm curious, what's they they asked kind of about Clue, but I want to just know from your perspective, is just this person in charge of competitive at the point you're at, what's been the biggest challenge just from being a per, like team of one and how are you sort of trying to overcome that or, or how have you improved maybe what was your original biggest issue? Yes, I should mention that I'm a team of one, but it's, I'm not a CI person. I also do pro- product marketing, sales enablement. So it's, widespread. And when I started it, I was also managing two people that were, have nothing to deal with competitive intelligence. So it was like more of like 0.5, team of like 0.5. So in order to do that was just to make sure that people were clear, you know, if uh, I'm happy to work with you on a particular battle card or building out all the materials you need. But um, if you know that, if you are also asking me to do something else, it's not related to a battle card, um, let me know how you want me to prioritize. And uh, most of us at the company have uh, personal um, Asana boards with tasks too. So it's easy to set a priority on them as well, along with due dates. Um, and then I, I guess I'm lucky in the beginning, it was a lot of work, um, maybe at times overwhelming, but then I've established practices that now make things so much easier. Um, like again, like, oh, okay, yeah, this person needs objection handling copy an objection handling card, whether you use tool or not, you just copy and paste what you've had before. Um, it does it does become uh, considerably easier as time goes on and you find what works for your company. For sure, for sure. It's, you're, you're definitely like in a more prepared space. Uh, you mentioned something as well earlier, Lisa, about I know that primary use case, it tends to be sales, but you also talked about CS, the customer success team being a consumer of uh, competitive Intel, yeah. and also I'm sure like a really good source. So what does that, what does that look like? Is it a little bit unique? I think it's growing the peop- um, in terms of people enabling CS with competitive. So how, how does that work and how is it similar or different to enabling a seller? Yeah, sure. Um, I, uh, I have to be honest, uh, if I didn't have the tool I have now uh, with usage stats, I would have had no idea. And I've definitely been a spreadsheet, would have had no idea who's looking at it. Unless I was on the Google sheet and I see the letter of the person in it, I would have had zero. And plus, France is six hours ahead, so chances are I wouldn't have seen them anyway. Um, so the usage stats, every time I go in, I'm like, oh my gosh. I mean, the top five people are usually CS people. And what's funny, it, our company's small. We also have a lot of relatives. The One of the top CS users is married to the director of sales. So I'm always like, your husband is like kicking your butt in terms of clue usage. Like, come on, like get it together. <laughs> um, so uh, so it was a welcome surprise. And as a result of that, I've reached out to them. I, I showed them the stats. I'm like, clearly you're, you're spending a lot of time in this, um, you know, what, would you like me to do better, different? And it seems like the needs are really the same. I've lucked out in, in doing my work with Agora Pulse. They are looking for the same things. And then at one time, CS asked me for something I haven't been asked before. It seems like within a few months, sales would have been asking me for the same thing and vice versa. So um, yeah, so it, yeah, been, it's been fortuitous that I haven't had to d- differentiate the way that I approach uh, CI for my company. Okay. And like in terms of like how CS use it in what cases, like, ah, yeah. How, yeah. Where, where, where are they typically using it now? And do they, is it almost similar in terms of like noticing an objection and it's, it would probably come in a slightly different form than one, like a sales call, but is that, is that, is that one of the main uses? Yeah. So um, again, we're a social media management tool. Instagram is hot. And so, uh, and Instagram's API is very uh, tight and closed. I mean, it's it's open to some degree, but there's not a lot you can do if you want to stay uh, compliant. Um, but as soon as they let uh, the API open for a certain feature and another tool gets to it before us, um, we, ris- we run the risk of churn. Um, and that that that's a CS example. So as soon as that happens, I kind of need to know uh, that information. Actually, one neat thing was 
about a month ago was the F8 conference. That's Facebook's big conference and Facebook owns Instagram. And we knew that they were opening up the ability to track Instagram direct messages. And we were working on it too, but we weren't allowed to say anything until the F8. So I was able to uh, set an alert where as soon as a competitor was like, we have it, we have it, we have it to let them know like, oh, they might, they might go to that competitor you don't go reach out and say, oh, I don't know if you saw the F8 news or something from our competitor, but we too are working on it and this is our release date and so on. So um, they tend to use that. Yeah, and then how is that different on the sales side? Sales side might come to us and say, oh, um, oh gosh, I, I know I've been talking to you, sales rep, we've had great rapport, I really like the tool, but this other tool seems to have this Instagram direct message thing and then we can use the information and say yes, but we understand that we saw the same press release, but we too have it as well. So. It's really interesting just kind of hearing the story there that you didn't even realize you needed to support CS and then you start to realize, oh, there's some usage here. And then also kind of that tying into being more proactive is like, okay, here's some stuff that I can support them. So they're ready before it yes. even becomes like a big issue. It's like, okay, this comes, we know we know what to do. And that's that's a really, really cool kind of story how you, how you the the through line there. Um, we have a question in from Rufus. It's, it's, it's changing a little bit. It's kind of gone back to the competitive landscape. And I'm just trying to read it here. So it's he, he's asking what kind of approach or, or framework do you use for the analysis of your competitive landscape? So I think it's kind of what we talked about earlier there, Chris, but also in terms of price monitoring. Monitoring. And he wanted to know if how like how regular like what's the cadence on on doing that and updating the the, the necessary teams with that information. Yeah, I mean, I think in terms of price, some competitors have public pricing, so we're able to, you know, keep that extremely fresh because we you know we have verifiable fact for what their pricing is. Um, for others, you know. There's certain instances where we knew one of our competitors just continued to offer massive, massive discounts when competing with us in order to try to win because our product was better. Um, and, you know, there's a couple of ways that we approached that in terms of helping with responses, such as, hey, if they're offering you these huge discounts, then clearly they don't value their own product. So you should look at the value side. But in terms of, you know, freshness, analyzing it, it, I guess it depends quite a bit. Um, you'll hear from those in the field. And again, this is where it's important for that two-way feedback loop to come into play. You'll, you'll hear, hear questions. Hey, have we ever run into this competitor with these massive discounts or these lower prices or, you know, whatever it may be. And it's, it's kind of keeping tabs of how often that comes up. Because like I said, we were seeing that in bursts um, at different points in time. So it's like, oh, they've got some sort of campaign where they're trying to push this. And just when we see it like that, instantly pushing that to the field, making everyone aware of these are the messages you need to push in when, 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 when we're running into this situation. That's w without, I'm really interested by that. And that's cool that you like, you're again, you're assessing landscape and you can kind of see, Oh, this is a trend that's, uh, that's occurring. Um, and you mentioned that initial kind of uh, that positioning messaging. Is there any other, like without going explicit into like the nitty gritty of like your product compared to someone else, but like, in terms of what kind of strategies or messaging, like the kind of overarching that you would enable your sales team with or other teams with on this kind of thing, like a competitor slashing their prices like crazy. What I'm really, really curious, like how you, cause at first I, it gives me, I'm like, Oh my God. Oh, that's, that's a, that's a worry for me, but you two are the experts. So I want to know, like, I'm not sure if this is coming in your field at all, Lisa, but um, Chris, like what else would you do from a strategic standpoint to be like, okay, don't worry. This is how we're going to combat it. Yeah. I mean, your reaction is very much in line with the majority <laughs> of the field when, you know, it, when, when it's the first experience with that. Yeah. Um, but again, just being able to walk through the full, like, like I said, we started with just a core automation product and expanded to a full platform that really 
helps deliver a ton more value than what the core platform was. So oftentimes looking at that and being able to explain the value, sure, you're paying more, but look how much more you're getting compared to that. That's one of the key things. And our sellers already know that story. Sometimes they just need to be reminded that this is really all you need to help overcome some of those price things. Um, the other thing is, you know, our company's got really, really good return on investment for our clients. Being able to point that out, showing them customer stories and different use cases where those things have panned out and in similar scenarios, again, really helps put, put the mind at ease um, with, with some of those things. So that's kind of the key thing. It's just, again, I think the sellers know that, but they're so wrapped up in next sale, next sale, next sale, that sometimes they just need to be reminded. And then once you do that, they're like, oh yeah, that's right. <laughs> the, you just, you see, so you calm me down there with yeah. your explanation. <laughs> see, I just went, I just went through it as, as the seller. So um, just, a, uh, I have a couple more questions and we've, we're, Coming up to, um, we've only got a little bit more time. So if anyone else has questions as well, feel free to fire them in and I'll try and get to as many as possible with, with Lisa and Chris, but I also want to be respectful of your time. Uh, over, overall, you've kind of both talked about different elements that's helped you develop your program and improve your program. What's changed in terms of the buy-in from leadership or visibility with leadership because of this? Yeah, Lisa, I don't know if you want to start. Sure, sure. Uh, yeah, well, um, yeah, we've seen a big change because uh, I've mentioned my good old spreadsheets. They were free, right? Part of the Google suite. So there was no investment for them, uh, really. Uh, and then we were a team of 50 and I'm asking, can we please get an enterprise level tool? So it's just, you know, like I, I knew that I needed to prove my case pretty darn quickly if I wanted to continue leveling up our competitive intelligence program. And luckily I, I did, which was great. Um, and so the way it's changed now is I don't really need to prove um, myself like each year, you know, contract comes up, you know, it's like, okay, yeah, great. Um, and, and it's become part of our vernacular. Like if someone mentioned something, like Chris is mentioning the two-way Slack channel, if that happens there, if we don't see the word clue, someone's like maybe a little snarkly, like, did you check clue? Or they might say to preempt that, like, hey, does someone offer this Instagram thing? I check clue and it's out there. It's just, it's kind of, we, it's become a part of the landscape. Um, and as such uh, people, I think the C-suite feels confident that, um, that we have a program in place to, to support um, regularly updated contextualized information. Yeah. And I mean, I think the biggest thing for us is, again, I think, as I mentioned, we started with Clue more as just a competitive intelligence gathering tool rather than the platform for battle cards. Um, and we're slowly expanding into that. And I think one of the biggest things that has put leadership at ease or gotten their buy-in is seeing their sales team members ask for Clue access. We started with a pilot that was mainly focused on pre-sales just because you know we thought that they would be the ones to use it more often, especially including some of, as I mentioned earlier, the different layers, peeling back the onion in, in different layers, adding that more technical depth, uh, seeing what their thoughts were on that to get some of that knowledge. Um, but seeing sales members asking for access to Clue during the pilot when we weren't even thinking about you know, using the sales team members. So just being able to show them that I think has, has really increased the buy-in. Um, and again, as I mentioned, the feedback loop, I think helps as well showing them, Hey, we tried to do these surveys before and got a paltry response. Now with clue, we're able to get it much more quickly. It's like a nice little before and after picture as well. Exactly. And you, you were mentioning about some, sort of the, some of the metrics you'll track too, but I think as well, what both of you touched on there is that kind of qualitative feedback in terms of like confidence and, and yeah. well, I mean, you said you can't quantify, but that confidence and feedback look and just like almost like building a greater relationship with uh, with sales. Because again, that's like it, it's like the real sticking point is that like product marketing or CI and and sales relationship in terms of usage. One last question for me. Um, 
what's next? What's next on the radar in terms of we've talked about getting your program from point A to point B. Um, what, yeah, what, what, do you, what do you think is next for using a program, um, using competitive intelligence to support your team to win even more? Yeah, so I think um, one of the next things we're planning on doing is a, a broader rollout to addition, additional teams uh, for Clue, that is. Um, just, you know, getting more people seats so that everyone's able to, again, use that, that two-way functionality, view all of the intelligence, get, get those deeper insights. Um, another thing we're doing is integrating it with HighSpot. We have HighSpot for content management internally. And the fact that Clue integrates with it Sales team already uses HighSpot a ton. The fact that they don't really have to learn a new tool because we can just iframe Clue right in will be super helpful. That, that's one piece of feedback that, that we had heard. So the fact that we can do that will be tremendously helpful. Um, and one of I think one of the key things that we're doing as we're making that migration more committed to Clue is using our own automation platform to migrate some of that data from the existing PowerPoint and Word documents that we have intelligence in now into Clue in a very, in a more hands-off approach so that it doesn't take me a ton of time to manually copy and paste everything. Love it. Um, yeah, here, uh, I'm, I'm not adding new competitors or I think or new groups of our company. I feel like most groups have already um, gotten into it and it's on their onboarding programs, but I am taking different slices. Originally, I just had our competitors, a competitor ABC. And past six months or so, I'm taking some of the social networks that are either like super hot, like I mentioned Instagram, or ones that we're about to launch, which is Google My Business, and then TikTok, which doesn't have an open API, but we're keeping an eye on it. So I'm taking the social networks. And what I'd love to do next is take um, the functional areas of us and our competitors. So like I mentioned, we support people who publish social content. So I wanted to have like a publishing board, uh, a listening board, social listening and monitoring and a social reporting board and building. I know people want to see, okay, for this one feature, how do we compare with all the other competitors? So if that feature is a reporting feature, then I would have it in the reporting board. Um, that's, that's when I have the time, that's what I'd like <laughs> to get, get stepping on. Perfect. All right. That was, uh, as we're just coming up on the hour here, that was, um, I think that's everything for our questions here. I really appreciate both of your time, Lisa and Chris. There was a ton. We went down many different avenues, I feel like, there. But it was it was really good to kind of get firsthand experience of what you've done, where you came from, and where you're going next. So I really appreciate your time. I hope people in attendance got some value out of this. We tried to make it a little bit more engaging. We didn't want to just make people sit through a long presentation. Um, and so any feedback, what we could do better, what you want to hear about, let us know, uh, let Chris, let Lisa know they were awesome. Um, and thank you everyone for your time and yeah, we'll catch you next time.